0: Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 24 as we continue looking at the life of David. The title of this message, and I really struggled with the theme and what to focus on in this very packed portion of Scripture that could have probably 20 or 30 messages or lessons from different angles. So this is what I think the Holy Spirit has left me with the impression of, and it's overcoming evil with good. Overcoming evil with good. And I also debated on whether or not to read all of this, but I actually sat down and timed how long it would take, and it's only three minutes. So, you know, don't break out in a sweat. It's just three minutes of your life. So let's read in 1 Samuel 24, and I want you to pay attention to the areas especially that I emphasize in reading. And remember where we are. David is on the run from Saul. Saul is still after him. He missed him again at the end of chapter 23. And Saul is back at it again, trying to kill David, who is the rightful king. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Injadai. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats, by the way, Where was a cave? This is another cave besides the first one we talked about. And Saul went in to cover his feet. Saul was tired and he goes in to take a nap. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. Now this is a great irony here. Saul is surrounded by David's men. Saul has gone to kill David. And he winds up being completely surrounded in a cave unknowing this by David's men. And the men of David, whispering, of course, said unto David, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Side note, the Lord never said that. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately or secretly, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. Saul was asleep and didn't know that David had done this. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words. The servants were ready to kill Saul. And they suffered them not to rise against Saul, but Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way, oblivious to what had just taken place. David also arose afterward, now watch this now, and went out of the cave. And remember, there's 3,000 men outside of this cave with Saul looking for David to kill him. But David rose up afterward and went out of the cave, cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. Could there be any more vulnerable position in the face of the man trying to kill you and his 3,000 men. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David, seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee. But mine eyes spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, notice how he refers to Saul, See, yea, see the skirt of thy robe, no doubt David is holding this up, in my hand. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judged between me and thee, and the Lord avenged me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee and see, and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. And it came to pass, when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, That Saul said, now listen, this is Saul who has lost his mind to his jealousy and his hatred of David. Saul says, is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Don't tell me for one second that Saul is not a child of God. Can you get that picture in your mind? David's down on the ground holding up the skirt above his head as his face is to the ground, the skirt that he cut off of Saul. And Saul is standing there weeping. The pictural definition of the word wept right there is of a man with his hands in his face weeping, convulsing uncontrollably. And Saul says to David, Thou art more righteous than I. Amen. (laughs) Amen. For thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. What a confession! And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord had delivered the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good for that thou hast done unto me this day. Now watch this. And now, behold I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord, that thou will not cut off my seed after me, and that thou will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore unto Saul. And Saul went home, but David and his men get them up unto the hold. It's a lot of reading, and much more than I normally read. But I just don't think it could be said any better than reading that dramatic piece of biblical history. And it occurred to me as I was reading that just now, that any time that we find ourselves in a position where... You know, someone has set themselves in opposition to you, or maybe you have set themselves yourself in opposition to them. It could be husbands and wives. It could be friends. It could be church members, so forth and so on. It could be an employee versus an employer, or employee versus employee. You ought to go and read that right there before you make any decision, or before you go, you know, off the handle. You ought to go and read an account like that right there. It's amazing what happened when David overcame evil with good. And that's the general lesson. As I said, there's a lot of side note and there's a lot of different angle type lessons that can come out of this. But that's what we want to focus on here today. Overcoming evil with good. As I said, chapter 23 wound up with David continuing to avoid Saul's grasp. God delivers David again and again and again. You know, David is in a position now where he's actually asking God what to do. And then Saul hears that David is hiding out over here in Injadai, and that's when Saul takes the 3,000, and he goes over there. Injadai was a wilderness, and it's kind of explained there, if you look in verse 2, it says that Saul took 3,000 chosen men, went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. Have y'all ever watched any of those videos online? Maybe some of you have been to places where the wild goats are, you know, hanging by a hoof, hanging by a thread on the side of a mountain, and bounding here and there. It's the, it's the most amazing thing you'd ever see. And they never fall. This is the kind of place where David is. He's up in a place where he can have great visual to see if somebody's coming after him. So he can see when Saul is coming, and that's why they hid in the cave. And don't forget how many men we've got here 600. David's got 600 men. That's a big cave, is it not? And it's a dark cave. And you can just picture in your mind Saul just shiftlessly coming into this cave to go and take a nap. You know, to cover himself up and take him out because he's tired from running after David. And as he goes in the cave, all of these men are, are lined in the dark, back in the recesses of the walls of the cave, where it's pitch black dark. Once you get in that cave, and David's there with them. I mean, this is this could be it for Saul. And I want you to notice one of the lessons that we get out of this is you want to be careful about misinterpreting the message of the Lord. Don't misinterpret the message of the Lord. David's men have an opinion about what should be done in verse 4. They said, Behold the day which the Lord said unto thee, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. This is not God's word. This was not the message of God. This is what I have referred to in the past, and maybe some of you remember those messages, as, as a spiritual urban legend. This is something that the men just assumed was in God's plan. They assumed that this was the Lord delivering Saul into the hand of David. And so they just came up, this is what God said to you. God never said for David to take the life of Saul. God is well capable of taking care of that himself. God is well capable of removing Saul and dispatching Saul whenever he chooses to. So these men are giving forth a spiritual urban legend. You've got to be careful about those things, brothers and sisters. There's a lot of spiritual urban legends out there, that things that are not even found in the Word of God. I've given these examples before, and that's not what the message is about today, but it bears refreshing your memory. Things like the rapture, that term is not even found in the Word of God. Things like accepting Christ as your personal Savior, not even found in the Word of God. Now, let me say a little side note to a side note. Depending on what version of the Word of God you're looking at, you might find some perversion of that. But if you're looking at God's Word translated into English, which is the King James 1611 translation, then you're going to find these things are not in the Word of God. The sinner's prayer, not in the Word of God. You know, behold, the Lord standing at the door of the heart of the sinner, knocking, trying to get in, Revelations 3. Total urban legend about what that's talking about. That's talking about God trying to get into a church, not into the heart of a person. You see, this is along the line of those type of spiritual urban legends. What about this one? This is a very famous one. You better not pray for patience. Because if you pray for patience, the Lord's going to send you tribulation. That is an urban legend. We ought to just stop the service right now and just start praying for patience. Because something's going to test your patience next week. And nine times out of ten, it's not the Lord. It's somebody at work. It might be something in your marriage, your friendships, your church life. It it could be anything that will test your patience. You better pray for patience. And the Word of God does not say that God will send you tribulation if you pray for patience. It's a spiritual urban legend. And I hope I'm piquing your interest here today. What else is a spiritual urban legend? There's a lot of them out there. This is one in the Old Testament where these men were purporting an, uh, an urban legend, you know, saying that this is the day that God told you He would deliver Saul into your hand. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. This is one of those strange and bizarre uh, happenstance possibilities where Saul in his jealous foolishness and, and his being so tired, he just wanders into some random cave and takes a nap. And y'all picture that. The Word of God is filled with humor. Here is Saul, he lays down, you know, he's just quiet, you know, men, leave me alone. I gotta get some rest. And he goes in there, pulls up his, you know, his blanket or his robe up over him. You know, it's kind of chilly in the cave, and he maybe lays his head down on a pack or something. You know, he's just laying there, he starts snoring, you know, you know. And David's men are just standing around and they're whispering, Hey, this is it. Killing, killing, this is it. It's all just laying there. You know, that's the way it is when we get lost in our sin and we become numb to sin. There's all types of stuff about to, to destroy us and we're just oblivious. And what about Jonah in the, down in the ship? Jonah found, you know, providentially, Jonah found a ship going to Tarshish when God said, go the other way. Was that providence? Yes, it was providence. It was the devil's providence. There is a providence that belongs to the devil. Most of the time it's called Temptation. And there's Jonah sleeping in the sides of the, of the ship, just snoring away, you know, having a great time while the ship is getting tossed about with the storm, and Jonah's about to be fish food. <laughs> he's fixing to get completely swallowed by a whale. And here's Saul. He's just laying there. And all these men have got their hands on their knives and their swords and their bows, and they're thinking, if our king says the word, this guy's toast. I don't think they use the term toast, but that's just my vernacular, okay? But you get the picture there? Saul is oblivious. This is a great lesson not only in misinterpreting the Lord's message, but it's also a lesson in what happens if we get ahead of God's will. Okay? David had been promised... By God, that he's gonna be, he is the king. He's been anointed as the king. But there's a promise that Saul is going to be ultimately and completely out of the way at some point. And if you're getting ahead of God in this matter right here, like the men were, you might say, This is it. We got it figured out. But David knew it was not his place. You know the old saying, Two wrongs don't make a right? So David killing Saul is going to be, you know, tantamount to murder. He doesn't have to murder Saul because God said, I'll take care of Saul. You leave that to me. Child of God, there's so many things that we want to monkey with and manipulate in our lives. (laughs) And I know there's some of you that know me that are sitting there and yeah, you're the worst and you're a hypocrite for saying that. I admit it. You know, I want to see you know things work out and just like that and i want people to get back together and i want people to to resolve their problems and i want people like saul not to chase after people like david and on and on i could go but there's just things that we have to just leave in god's hand and god's timing you see oh goodness being the type of personality that i am who, who who loves to help people and loves to share the word of god and help people you know The fact is, people just don't always take the word of God and do what the word of God says. The fact is, your preacher sometimes doesn't do that either. I know that's what God's word says, but I just feel like, uh, you know, I need to go ahead and monkey with this or, you know, see if, you know, I can, you know, do this or do that. There's just some things you just got to leave in God's hands. As a matter of fact, a lot of things that you ought to just leave in God's hands because He is well capable of handling those things. Do what you can do. But at the end of the day, whenever you've done what you can do, just leave it in a holy, sovereign God's hands to take care of it. And that's what David does. David says, I know I'm king. I know I'm going to be on the throne one day. And if I do what these men are falsely telling me to do, getting ahead of God and misinterpreting the message of God, then I'm going to mess up. Two wrongs don't make a right. So you might think about some other examples This is an interesting example of how Sarah, she pushed Hagar on Abraham. You remember that? Sarah just said, well, God's not going to do what he promised the old man to do. (laughs) He's not going to do what he promised. And he must mean that my husband Abraham is going to have a child, but it's not going to be through me. I mean, you can see logically how she would think that way. You know, because her womb is dead, and she was never able to bear a child her entire life. It's not like she grew old and then couldn't bear a child. No, she was never able to conceive. And by the way, side note, got a lot of side notes to this this morning, but most men in those days would have left their wife. They would have left their wife because of the way the culture was. If she can't raise up offspring to me, then I'm going to go find me another wife. So what happens is Sarah buys into that foolish culture. And she says, I think God means, you know, take Hagar. Y'all will have a beautiful child if you just take Hagar. How did that work out? Total, complete, astronomical disaster. It was problem. Listen, you say, well, that was a long time ago. It's still around today. The descendants of Ishmael are still fighting. The the offspring of Abraham and Hagar, there it says that they would be that th- those descendants would be wild men, and no man could tame them. <laughs> it's still around today. That mistake, getting ahead of God's will, that Sarah brought upon Abraham and her, it still bears problems and dangers and scars today. You want to know a little bit about what's going over in the Middle East? there you go. That problem right there. What about Rebecca? Isaac and Rebecca had twin boys. Their names were Jacob and Esau. And God told Rebecca, I love Jacob and I hate Esau. Jacob is my chosen. Esau is not. God left Esau where he was. And that was from the Lord. It says that in the book of Romans, that He told her that. God told Rebekah that. And God telling Rebekah, her knowing that, Rebekah did a lot of foolish things getting ahead of God's will. You remember whenever she put sheepskin on Jacob's arm and sends him in there to lie to his father so that he could get the blessing? Listen, that's getting ahead of God. God was not in that. Now God tells you about that so you can learn the lesson about not getting ahead of God. See, God is well able to make Isaac produce a blessing out of his mouth for the younger son, Jacob. God's able to do that. See, we forget those things. And we think we've got to monkey with it, to manipulate it, and to do something about it. It's, so, it's such a relief. And I cannot say to you that I live in this relief. And I cannot tell you that you will always live in that kind of relief. But with the moments, the few lucid moments, whenever you do live in that kind of relief it is something to experience. Just as the saying goes today, and I know it sounds trite, let go and let God, you know, just let God do His thing. He's the sovereign of the universe. He can handle your little problems, which are not little, they're big, I get it. <laughs> but that is, as far as God looks at it, you know, compared to the sin problem, our little problems are not as big as the sin problem of removing the sins of God's people from, you know, from their ledger, Right. There's other examples in the Word of God that you come across where people, God's people, get ahead of God. They get ahead of God. And that's what you got right here with David's men. They get ahead of God. But David knew God's promise and he maintained his position. You know the song we sing, Standing on the Promises? David stood on the promises of God. And he did good when the opportunity presented itself and he could have done evil. You know, I think this is a great lesson for parents when it comes to getting ahead of God's will. You know, don't don't manipulate relationships with your children. It's a good lesson for spouses you know, about finding a spouse. You know, don't manipulate relationships or, or or and it's it's okay to encourage and say, well, these are good folks. You know, better stay away that that group or that person bears the characteristics of of evil from the Word of God. You know, pull back, stay away, but. It's not a good idea to try to get ahead of God in those relationships. You understand that? I remember a couple times through the years. You know, I I would just make a suggestion. You know, I I would be like, and I'm not talking about my kids, but like for some other young folks, I'd be like, "Well, this is this might be a good idea right here." And I might mention something, and then I, you know, of course, those people would be like, "Are you crazy?" (laughs) So I'm, I'm out of this business. I'm, I am out of the matchmaking business. I, I am out of manipulating, you know, well, who needs to be friends with who and all of that. You know, there are things about the natural flow, uh, maybe say supernatural, the spiritual and supernatural and natural flow of relationships that just need to run their course. You understand? But the thing you got to be careful about is this. This is also manipulation of relationships. Somebody makes a mistake and cut them off. They're done. I'll never interact with that person again. That is manipulation. Okay, because if I said, how many times have I said this? If, if y'all knew 15 year old Tim in high school with his smart aleck mouth and always running his mouth and telling jokes and being, you know, trying to be Mr. Cool and, you know, flirting with the girls and ha ha this and telling jokes. If y'all knew me at 15, y'all be like, I don't have anything to do with him. I'm 52. Okay, God bless me to repent of some things. You know, 15-year-old Tim is not the same as, as, as 25-year-old Tim. 15-year-old Tim was not the same as 20-year-old Tim. There were some hard lessons that I had to learn about how to control my tongue and how to act around people and all of that. You know, 25-year-old Tim. I don't think 52-year-old Tim is the same one as 25-year-old Tim, praise God. But you understand there's some natural flow of things. And you say, well, you know, once, that, once 15-year-old Tim said what he did and did, did what, the things that he did to me, I'll never have anything to do with him again. Well, that's merciless, isn't it? That's merciless. And if you have that attitude, you're merciless. you're also a hypocrite because you say, well, you know, if my kids, you know, if this kid, if 15 year old Tim did something wrong, but my kids don't ever do anything wrong. Are you kidding me? You need to take a reality pill. All of our kids in this room are sinners. All of the adults in this room are sinners. All of the, all age groups, even sweet little manly back there who I feel like can't hardly do any wrong, but He's a sinner too. He came here as a sinner. You know why? Because he took on the nature of his parents. And you know where they got that from? At least one of them got it from me. And you know where I got it from? All the way back to Adam. We take on the nature of our 4th We're all sinners. Be merciful to one another. So when somebody does something wrong, can we say this? Can we agree that nobody under the sound of my voice has ever seen or experienced anything like what Saul was doing to David. And if Saul was doing what he was doing to David, and David can go out and bow himself to the ground in front of 3,000 soldiers that have been commanded to kill him, and the removed king himself standing there, I tell you what, you've never faced anything like that. Never. And I pray to God you never do. But it's a great lesson because here's the peanut gallery over here whispering in David's ear in the dark, in the dark, do it, kill him, do it, pull away, get away from them. Ah, it's it's your your time. You know, it's all about you. That's what they're saying. It's you. It's you. If these guys had had these little fellows right here, they'd have been posting online, you know, about themselves and about David. You see, it's all about you. That's what they're saying. But it's not about you, child of God. And it's not about what, what you have in front of you. It's about what does God want. What a relief in life when you finally start asking, Lord, what would you have me to do? And see if you let some of these natural flow type things run their course, you know what you got? You got yourself some very teachable moments. Parents, if you, if you have patience, if you're, if you're praying for patience and don't believe the spiritual urban legend about don't pray for patience because it'll bring tribulation. What you'll get is you'll get some teachable moments where yes, you'll have to stay up late and yes, you'll have to go over things you know, like 10,000 times like I have, but, but it's teachable moments because you know what? Those little those young guys are gonna face things like that out in the world. And if the reaction is get away, get away, pull out, pull back, what do you think their relationships in life are gonna be like? They're gonna be disasters. It's not cut and run for the child of God. It's overcoming evil with good. You're gonna be hurt, and I'm not just talking about the young guys. In life, you're gonna get hurt. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to have things that come at you that you don't understand. And the bar none across the board response of the peanut gallery is going to be take care of yourself. Do what you got to do to get by. You know, get your pound of flesh. But the bar none answer of God in this matter, the Lord Jesus Christ and God's people to God's people is overcome evil with good. You always win when you overcome evil with good. You talking about keeping score? Well, that person got their lick in. I'm going to get my lick in. <laughs> God's got a better plan. When you overcome evil with good, you completely win. It's not even the same. It's not even keeping score. You win, <laughs> and that's what David does here. You're always going to have these bumps and bruises. By the way, that doesn't end. And as a matter of fact, you know, I thought, well, maybe you know, when I when I you know get over forty, you know, everything will kind of calm down a little bit, but slow down a little bit. Now it feels like it just ramps up. <laughs> You know, and then, you know, you think, well, there's coming a time when I won't have to worry about bumps and bruises anymore. There is coming a time when you won't have to worry about that. And that's when you lay your head down for the last time and take your last breath or the Lord comes back. You're always going to have bumps and bruises. You know, and you said, well, I don't want my kids to have any. That is an unrealistic view of of <laughs> of the way things are. It's unrealistic because you're going to have bumps and bruises no matter what. Those are teachable moments to prepare for Life you've got to watch out for devilish providence. You've got to watch out for the devils throwing snares and temptations out there. Those men were saying, kill him. This is your opportunity. You know, just because there was a ship waiting to set sail down at Tarshish does not mean that God was in that. He was not in that. Listen, if you don't know what to do, This was a a real gut call, gut check time for David because he's in a moment where he could actually do something. And and I I think, this is just my conjecture because it doesn't say this, but I really think that when David stepped forward out of the sides of the cave and he began to approach Saul who was laying there snoring, oblivious that death was possibly hanging over his head, it may be that David kind of had in his mind, maybe they're right. (laughs) Maybe they're right as he kind of crept closer with his knife. And as he crept closer... The Lord gets a hold of him. And you remember my promises? You remember what I said? I'll take care of Saul. And so David gets there, and you know, all the men are probably over there going, Get him, he's got him, he's got the knife raised, he's going in. And then he just slips off and cuts a little piece of Saul's robe off, off of the corner. And he slips back into the sides of the cave. And it says that David's heart smote him, even cutting off the edge of his robe. This is an incredible lesson that not only did David you know, not violate the promises of God. But he also stopped others from gainsaying and gossiping and doing something horrible, see? When he stepped back into the edges of the cave, if you notice, I'm sure the men were going, what is he thinking? Has he lost his mind? It says in verse 5, David's heart smote him because he'd cut off Saul's skirt. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master." the Lord's anointed to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he's is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. <laughs> he even, not only did he take care of himself and wait upon the Lord and leave it in the Lord's hands, he, he talks to these 600 men and, and the word gets around, no, no, put your sword up. Take your, take your, take your hand off of your sword. We will not kill Saul. We're going to leave Saul in the hands of the Lord. Think about that. David, Saul rose up out of the cave and went out. You know, He yawns and you know, pulls his robe back around him. Doesn't even notice that there's a little piece of his robe cut off. And he goes outside and he's walking away. Now let's get back to starting to finding David and let's kill him. And about that time, David comes walking out from behind him. You talk about some irony and some humor in the Word of God. So David comes walking behind him. And as I said, he falls down to the earth with his face to the ground. You can't get any more vulnerable than that. Child of grace, do you know that's always a position? For whatever reason, in the mysteries of the Spirit of God, in the mysteries that flow around in the hearts of God's children, it is the most unlikely, illogical thing to do. It's the most illogical thing to do. Here's a guy that wants to kill him, and he goes and lays down before him with his face to the dirt, and he begins to give that great speech there that he gives to him. There's just something about that vulnerable position whenever you position yourself before someone maybe that you have offended or someone that has offended you, it's very hard to to wail and hammer on someone when they're down at your feet with their face in the dirt. (laughs) There's a great lesson in that from David. And, And by the way, this is the ultimate overcoming evil with good. Overcoming evil with good. David is positioning himself, by the way, as a type of Christ Here, as he lays down, voluntarily lays down before his enemies. He's a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry commentary said this, Thus did David render good for evil to him from whom he had received evil for good, and was herein both a type of Christ who saved his persecutors, and an example to all Christians not to be overcome of evil, but to overcome evil with good. You know, our nature leads us to protect ourselves. I got to get my pound of flesh. I got to protect myself. I got to, you know, hold back. But that is not the path of the disciple of Christ. The disciple of Christ is you give it away to get it. The disciple of Christ is you lay it down to take it up. The way up in the kingdom of God is down, and the way down in the kingdom of God is up, you see? It's not going to make natural sense to you, especially when you're hurt or when you're offended or you know, when things happen, well, I'm just going to you know, get my licks in or I'm just going to withdraw or I'm just not going to have anything ever to do with that person again. Child of God, in this dark time that we live in, we don't have that option, you see. We don't have that option. Think about this incredible coming together for just a moment. For just a moment, Saul is going to go and chase David again. Even after all of this transpires. That's what his sin has done to him. That's what the public opinion has done for him. That's what the politics have done for him. And that's what he's going to go back and do. But in this moment, it's a beautiful picture. You know, there's a song that we sing. How strange is the course that a Christian must steer. How perplexed is the path he must tread. It's a a strange course for the child of God that to lay your face down in the dirt before your very sworn enemy is even possible or reasonable but that's why we serve a God whose ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts you see that's exactly what his son did his son laid himself down before his persecutors he would not open his mouth Isaiah says that as a lamb before its shearers is dumb that he opened not his mouth Jesus could have called down 10,000 legions of angels and completely dispatched every person on this earth. The earth itself, the universe, he had the power to do that, but he restrained himself. That's the lesson here. If you can't restrain yourself, you'll never be able to overcome evil with good. David restrained himself and stood on the promises of God. Notice David says in verse 10 and 11, he says, moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. He holds up the little piece that he cut off. You know, when I think about that skirt, there's been a lot of conjecture and commentary. You know, what does what that skirt, <laughs> what does that little piece of cloth represent? Well, I, I don't know all, you know, what the theologian thinks it, thinks it represents. But for me, it's a token of mercy. That's what it is. It's a symbol of mercy. Because David, at that point, when Saul was asleep, he had, there was a possibility he could have plunged the knife into his heart and, and dispatched Saul. But instead, he cuts off a robe of his garment to show to him what he could have done, but he did not do. It's a token of mercy. It's a symbol of mercy. And it's a beautiful picture of the mercy that God has shown towards us. The empty grave of Jesus Christ is a token of mercy for you. The church of God is a token of mercy for you. The preaching of the Gospel God didn't have to give that to us. He was not, you know, it wasn't something that we required of Him. The preaching of the Gospel and the gifts of the ministry are tokens of mercy from God. One another, each other, believing in the truth, loving the Lord, those are tokens of mercy. Why do we love the Lord? It's because of the mercy of God. Why do we know anything about the Lord? It's because of the mercy of God. Why do we know that He saved us from our sins? It's because of the mercy of God. Don't ever forget that. We've got an entitlement mentality. We are very much poisoned with an entitlement mentality in our culture today. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that. And I get that. You know, as an attorney, I get that. You know, we have certain rights. But you can take that too far. Listen, when it comes to spiritual things, we're not entitled to anything more than what the Lord has mercifully given to us. He's given you the church. If you're sitting here today, the church of God is a token of mercy. He didn't have to do that. He's given you the ministry to hear about things of the other world to come. He's given you the ministry so that you can understand how to interact with one another and how to honor Him in your relationships with one another and your marriages and your friendships and your school and the different things that you do. Those are tokens of mercy. We could be blind. As a matter of fact, Paul said that in the book of Ephesians about the Gentiles which would have been basically everyone under the sound of my voice back in those days. We would have all been gentiles and he said you were without mercy and you were in darkness out there before the lord jesus christ came and he opened up understanding and he brought light to the world so that you could see he's resurrected he paid for your sins and and before that god's people in other nations besides the jewish nation they were in complete darkness child of god you're in the light Cling to the light. David's men in the cave, they were in darkness, literally and spiritually. They were misinterpreting the message of God. They were not understanding the opportunity that was there before David. And David displayed God's glory in what he did because he showed mercy on Saul. Mercy is always going to show God's glory. Always. That's what David did. He overcame evil with good. Well, let me say this. I got several side notes today. Y'all can see it. There's a lot of stuff in here. But I want you to think about this. David is a type of Christ. You know, Christ is the super David. Christ is the descendant of David, but he's also before David because he's eternal. And I think what you've got here in this picture with him cutting off the skirt of Saul and taking it out there and showing it to him, I believe it's a picture of the cross. I believe it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. In Matthew, the 26th chapter, whenever they came to take Jesus, What happened there? You know, Jesus turns. Judas is there. Judas betrayed Jesus with the kiss. He said, whomever I kiss on the cheek is going to be the Son of God, the one that claims to be the Son of God. So they take Jesus. They've got him in their arms. And Peter, not understanding what's going on, what does he do? He yanks out his sword and he reaches out. Some people say that he was just a bad aim. You know, he's really trying to take the head off of the servant of the high priest. And that's probably true because, you know, it's... Think about it, just for a moment. If you were going to swing downward and hit somebody and take their ear off and you got their ear, you're also gonna take their shoulder off, right? Y'all, y'all see that, I mean, am I crazy? So I think Peter was reaching back and going sideways, swinging for that guy's head and the poor old fella just goes <laughs> Am I crazy? Maybe I am, y'all just forgive me if I am. However it happened, Peter's most likely got bad aim because he's a fisherman, You know, he's not a soldier. And he takes off the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus. In one of the other Gospels, Jesus takes that ear, puts it right back on him. Boom. Healed. That's amazing, isn't it? What kind of doctor is that? That is the great physician, is it not? Don't you wish you could go to the doctor and you know, have things put back on like that or fixed just instantly like that? And Jesus says this, put up your sword. By the way, it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't believe in self-defense because just previously Jesus had asked, How many swords do you have?" And they said, two. He said, that's enough. Christ believed in self-defense. But in this moment, it was not time for self-defense. It was time to fulfill the will of His Father. And whenever Jesus put the servant's ear back on and healed it, He looks at Peter He says, Put up thy sword, because they that live by the sword are going to die by the sword. And He said, Know ye not that I can call down 10,000 legions of angels at this very moment and destroy everything that is against Me. That's a picture of David in the cave. David, the precursor of Jesus. David, the many, many, many great grandfather of Jesus. He's got those 600 men in the cave surrounded, this one enemy. What kind, of, what kind of chance do you think Saul is going to have when David says, go, get him? No chance at all. He's asleep. And even if he was up, he doesn't have a chance. The Lord Jesus Christ, as he hung there on the cross, Maybe you've envisioned this before, but I can just picture those 10,000 legions of angels circled around the Calvary's hill as they're looking. You can't see them with a natural eye, but they're gathered around. I could just see them with their hands on their swords. Give us the word. What are they doing to him? Give us the word. And the Lord Jesus Christ would not give the word. You know why? Because he was standing on the promises of God because he was faithful to the promises of God. He was not going to come off the cross until it was time to come off the cross and the the, the Lord's promises of salvation to his people be fulfilled and the sins paid for but I could just picture those 10,000 legions of angels. He could have called them down at any moment. But he didn't. Why? Because he was going to stand on the promises of God. And by the way, it is the ultimate picture of overcoming evil with good. It's the ultimate picture of overcoming evil with good as Jesus is on the cross there and your evil, my evil, the evil of the persecutors, the evil of the Roman soldiers, the even evil of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, the evil of the kangaroo courts that had tried, three courts that had tried Jesus in one night and in the wee hours of the morning that day. Those kangaroo courts were all against Him. The evil was against Him. Your sins were against Him. And there He is. He would not open His mouth. He would not say, I'll come down. He would not say, let those angels go and come and dispatch. He says, I'm tired of this. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He prayed. He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. You see, the cup of wrath was coming. The cup of the wrath that He should have taken out on you for your sins is being taken out on Jesus. Overcoming evil with good. The ultimate example of overcoming evil with good is the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. It's the ultimate If he had not overcome evil with good, you would not have a hope for the future in heaven. You would not have a hope right now. You would not have the church right now. You would not have God's people right now. You would not have the opportunity to display the same things in your life that Christ displayed for us, that David displayed there that day in that cave. Oh, child of God, I can't emphasize to you enough how important it is to not overcome evil with evil, to not render evil for evil, but to overcome evil for good. It can be as small as just saying a kind word back when somebody says a really something ugly to you. It can be that small. There's been a couple times, especially in the legal field, sometimes people get really mad, you know, especially when things don't go their way. And I can remember at least a couple times through the years, Somebody was just ugly. You know, it they, they didn't go their way, or maybe it was going their way. I can't even remember, but it, they were being ugly. And so it would have been a great opportunity to just spit fire right back at them. And I can remember, by the grace of God, in that moment, because I can't say I've done it in every moment, and you can't either. But in that moment, I remember just saying something back that was totally you know, off the wall of what we were dealing with in the moment, in the, in the trouble, in the the fire that was being spit back and forth. I just said something to it, and it just, it just diffused the whole situation. Everybody just kind of like, like they were in confusion, just kind of wandered off. What just happened? It made me think of the way that the Lord would confuse the armies of the enemy in the Old Testament. You know, they'd come out there to fight and kill, going to destroy another city, and next thing you know, they're fighting each other and destroying each other. When we conform ourselves to the pattern that God says will work and leave that in God's hands and don't say, yeah, but if I return a kind word, then they're going to score more points on me. It's not about scoring points, you see. It's about honoring God in all circumstances. And can we agree here this morning, David honored God in that circumstance, did he not? He overcame evil with good. The the garment piece that he cut off was a token of mercy. Now look, can you imagine? This this was a real government and political scene right here too. I want to elevate this just a little bit for a moment and then bring it back down to to our level. So you got the king, the removed king who's trying to kill the current king. Two opposing parties come together in that moment. And the mean king confesses. You're right. You're going to be king. I don't know what I'm thinking. And please promise when you are king that you won't hurt my posterity, the generations after me, that you'll take care of them. By the way, David does. He promised to and he did. So can you picture, I don't know if any of you have watched any like congressional hearings lately. And I t- I'm going to take it up there Then we're going to bring it back down to normal. But I, sometimes I flip through and be you know bored out of my mind and I'll just flip it on to some kind of congressional proceeding or on YouTube, you know, this issue was brought up. I have never seen such hatred and vitriol being spit towards... And I'm not just talking about one side, I'm talking about all sides. Can we say they hate each other? It's not just about arguing a position. You can see by the way they're rude to each other and how they insult each other. They hate each other. So it's elevated beyond just issues. It's people hating people. And can you imagine... If all of a sudden one of those congressmen or congresswomen just started, you know, I've hated on people. I've insulted people. I've, You know, even though our position is right or maybe they think it is or whatever, I'm just going to start overcoming evil with good. Could you picture in the halls of Congress up there in Washington, D.C., if the whole right side of the aisle and the whole left side of the aisle got down on their faces with each other and just confessed, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry, I never should have insulted you. Oh, praise God, pray for me, don't cut me off. And I know y'all are thinking, that's crazy, it'll never happen. Same thing they said about David and Saul. Wouldn't that be amazing? You know how that happens? It doesn't happen by some magic. It happens because of tokens of mercy. It happens out of mercy. If anybody finds mercy, it's because someone's overcoming evil with good. And I don't want to leave you up there in the halls of Congress because that's about as far away from us as anything practical we could possibly find. But I want to leave you right here in Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church on the carpet, in the pews, and understand that's what it means for you. That's what it means for me. Things are going to happen that you don't like. People are going to say things that you don't like. You're going to do that from time to time. Sometimes you might not even realize it. Isn't it good to know that you've got an example like David... Who had the opportunity to go against the will of God but he followed the will of God and isn't it great to know that there's an opportunity that, that when you get those opportunities that it's just like the Lord Jesus Christ who saved you from your sins when all of your evil was against him he didn't smash your evil with evil he overcame your evil with good by laying down his life and you have a future you have a hope in heaven because the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life There's no king like Saul out there trying to kill you. Thank God. Not yet. There's no king like that chasing you around. If David can do that in that moment, child of grace, you can do it with each other. You can do it with me. I can do that with you. You want to have a healthy, vibrant, growing fellowship in church, in the workplace, in marriage, in friendships. It is mandatory that we follow the example of David. And that we follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ.